0: You would turn with me and your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're be reading beginning in verse 11 this morning, continue on to the end of the chapter. Uh, if you were here with us last week, uh, very different reactions from people after the sermon. Some people were like, that made plenty of sense. Others were, what? Um, so, um, more of the same today. However, I think I can simplify this one, and I hope that you'll be able to track with me. Um, I think he's now getting to the point where he's going to apply all of this uh, argument that he's putting out for us this morning of why Christ is a better high priest than Aaron. So uh, with that, if you would, look with me in your copy of God's Word, beginning in verse 11. Hear the inerrant Word of God. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law... What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord who was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of this oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray together. Father, again, we ask for your help as we read your holy word. We, like the priest of old, are very weak and sinful and and prone to misunderstand your word, prone to misapply it, prone to doubt it, prone to fall away from you, to be led astray by various things and be tangled up uh, because of sin. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom from your word this morning. We pray that you would give us much comfort and strength uh, by your word. We pray that you continue to draw us near into a closer, more intimate relationship with you through the word who is Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. A London businessman was seeking to sell a very dilapidated piece of property that had been sitting empty for quite some time. Over many months, vandals had come into the building and damaged all the doors, smashed all the windows, uh, scattered all sorts of litter and other things around the, the interior of the building. And the man who was showing this prospective property to the buyer, he took great pains to say that. He would replace all the broken windows. He would hire a crew to fix any structural damage to the building and make sure that all the litter had been swept away. But immediately, the buyer waved him off, saying to him, forget the repairs. If I buy this place, I'm going to tear down the building altogether and build something much better than this. That's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying in reference to the temple in the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm not coming to fix the temple. The Lord did not come to fix it, but rather to destroy it in order to build something better. Now, we're going to talk about that this morning. Some of you might, uh, might have an issue with this. I'll explain why in a minute. But um, it's important to understand that the author of Hebrews, what he's saying here in our text this morning is, is this. God will never rebuild that temple ever again. Although the Jews to this day... If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can actually see them standing and and bowing and praying and wailing again and again in front of the wailing wall because they cannot perform the sacrifices because the temple has been destroyed. Although all those prayers are lifted up, God will not rebuild that temple ever again because he's built something better in its place. It's important we get that, and that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to help us to understand this morning in reference to the better Priesthood of Christ after a greater order of Melchizedek that was greater than anything that the priesthood of Aaron could ever accomplish in the Old Testament. So, last week, if you remember where we left off, if you remember and understood, um, basically he was saying that Melchizedek, that ancient mysterious figure who was a king and a priest, how he was greater than Abraham, Father Abraham, in order to show. That the descendants of Abraham, who, through the Aaronic priesthood, were inferior to the greater order of priesthood through Melchizedek, which is how Jesus has received his order of priesthood, by oath rather than by bloodline. That's his point this morning. Now, in order to do that, in order to, now that he's unraveled all these intricate points, he's trying to point us to this main argument, which is this, why the old priestly order of Aaron had to pass away in order to make room for a much better priesthood through Jesus Christ. If you don't remember anything else I said, that's the main point. That's his argument. The old order had to pass away. Along with its laws, along with its sacrifices, along with this entire priesthood and the temple complex, it all had to pass away in order to point us to a better priesthood in Christ. And so the main point this morning, he's going to unravel, and I'm going to try to give it to you in three points to help uh, explain what he means. And here are the three points that I'm going to focus on this morning. Three reasons why the old order had to pass away and be replaced by the priesthood of Christ. Here are the three. First, he speaks of the imperfections of the old order. Second, he speaks of the impermanence of the old order. And third, he speaks of its inability in order to accomplish the salvation that God had in mind. So let's talk about the first one. The imperfections of the old order of the priesthood. In comparison to the election of church officers today, so in in other words, when you're looking to nominate an elder or deacon in the church you'll notice that the qualifications are not primarily about his duties but, or his gifts so much as it is his character, right? So you're constantly looking to see what type of man this is. Is he qualified to serve as a leader in the church? Is he above reproach? Is he sober-minded? Is he self-controlled? All of these things. You're looking for something that demonstrates that this man has some sense of holiness and godliness that we could model for the rest of the church. Now compare that with the Old Testament priesthood. There's no character qualifications for a priest in the Old Testament. He simply had to be a descendant of Aaron. That's mostly it. If you're a descendant of Aaron, you're good to go. You're a priest. That could be scary. Could it not be? Because you imagine there are quite a few descendants of Aaron that were not as godly as you would hope they would be. We read in our devotions in the book of Numbers just this last week about the Levites complaining about this very scenario. Complaining against Aaron and his descendants about being priests when they're like, we ought to be able to be priests. But it not matter how godly or holy the Levites could be, in this case they were not, but say they were, they still would never be able to serve as priests. Whereas a very ungodly man could serve as a priest simply by being a descendant of Aaron. The only other qualification to be a priest in the Old Testament other than your bloodline was you had to have no external physical blemishes of any kind. There were 142 different blemishes you had to avoid. Which are pretty simple as long as you weren't born with any birth defect or had somehow maimed yourself in, in one regard or another or contracted some weird disease that would make you unclean For the most part, you were good to go, and you could be a priest in God's holy temple. You could go into the very holy place of God, simply because there was nothing externally hindering you, because you had the right bloodline. Uh, Of course, there were other external applications that had to be made. Every priest who would go in would have to take many baths, which he would hope that they would want to do anyway. They had to undergo much anointing of oil, sprinkling of blood. They're constantly having blood sprinkled upon them, and they're constantly changing their clothes. And so on the outside, these men looked like the very vision of godliness. But inwardly, they could be vile, full of sin, and dead, spiritually speaking. But they were qualified. You can see why this old order had to be put away. It would lead to all sorts of bad things. How could such a man who's weak and sinful possibly act as a model of holiness for the people of Israel when he's not even close to being holy himself? He wouldn't encourage holiness. It's, it's, it's not hard to see why the nation of Israel many times in their history turned away from God because their priests had turned away from God. You know, There are actually times in which the entire temple complex was shut down. Boards were placed over the temple itself. No one could go in because the nation was so ungodly, the priests were so unholy. They were in league with the evil kings of Judah rather than standing up to them like Nathan would against David, taking his own life in his hands by confronting the king of Israel. Well, the same way those very priests could not minister effectively at all to the Israelites because of their own sin and weakness. They, they could sympathize with the sinners, yes, but they didn't do so in love. They certainly couldn't make them saints. Although they were called to pray for the people, they often fell short in their duties. They didn't pray for them regularly. They forgot about their people an interesting passage that mark read earlier in first samuel chapter 12 a good priest samuel hate to see him go uh, but we see all of his bases and point to me what sin that i've committed against you i've i have ministered to you effectively keep in mind samuel is both the prophet and the high priest of israel takes the place of eli right he got to see firsthand what it's like when you have bad priest eli and his two sons those sons weren't praying for the Israelites. They weren't good models. Then they were put to death as a result. And now Samuel is saying to the people, even as he's retiring, if you will, from uh, ministering full-time in their presence, he reminds them in 1 Samuel chapter 12, 23, he says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. You see, the priest had to pray for God's people. And if he didn't, God wouldn't hear from them. You have to understand, they they had to pray to God through a mediator. And if the mediator isn't praying, if the mediator isn't holy, then your prayers wouldn't be answered. So to rely upon the weak and sinful priesthood of the the Aaronic lineage, it's set up for failure. There's no way you would ever find a full salvation through it. It was not designed to bring it. It couldn't bring it. And so it had to pass away in favor of a new order. So that first of all, the imperfections of the order led to it being obsolete. Secondly, the impermanence of the old order also signified that it ought to be replaced. As most of you know, Aaron was the first high priest Seemingly a holy man, a godly man, but as you know, we saw many of his sins throughout uh, the, the first five books of Moses, and as you know, uh, he lasted for a while, but he didn't even make it through the wilderness wanderings, right? He died, did not even enter into the promised land. We see instead Caleb, a Judaite, and, and Joshua and Ephraimite are the only two men who actually make it into the promised land, but the Levite, who's supposed to be holier than both, dies. Because of his sin, And we see we'll see it actually in our devotions next week, in numbers, when we read chapter 20, that the Lord takes Aaron up on top of Mount Hor, divest him, it almost looks like he leaves him naked on top of the mountain, and then buries him, putting the holy clothing that was on him onto his son, Eleazar instead. The impermanence of the priesthood. none of the priests would last. Every single time they're ever mentioned in scripture, it'll say so-and-so was a priest and then he, what? Died. We see the same thing. Eliezer becomes a priest after Aaron, serves for a number of years, and then all of a sudden we get into Joshua chapter 24. The same time Moses dies is the same time that Aaron dies, and then the same time that Joshua dies is the same time Eliezer dies. And then Eliezer is replaced by his son, Phinehas. Again, he's, he's a godly man but eventually he also dies. And so that's the hard part about Samuel. After reading that passage in Samuel, we see it's a sad day because Samuel's basically saying, I'm done, and he's about to pass away. And who are they going to get after that? Uh, There's always some concern. Will we have a good priest? Will he be able to usher us into the presence of God? Will he be heard by God? And if he, even if he is, he eventually dies, and then we have to start all over again. It's sort of like the iPhone, right? I mean, Steve Jobs, when he originally created the iPhone, you know, he's, he's got good business sense. He never created the iPhone to last 50 years, right? He created it to last, what, five, maybe? Two or three? And then the iPhone 2 comes out. Yay. Then the iPhone 3, and then 4, and then 8, and then 12. Who in here has iPhone 12, raise your hand. About four of you, who has the 11? Who still has the one? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. It's called design obsolescence, right? Planned obsolescence. It's meant to be phased out because there's a better iPhone coming down the road, supposedly. And even if you have the 12, whew, already it's out of date because already 13's in the works, right? Sort of like that, God purposely designed the Aaronic priesthood to be obsolete. The only difference is each generation was not a better iPhone, wasn't necessarily a better priest. Oftentimes you got much, much worse candidates who succeeded them. The people would actually sometimes suffer greatly under these priests after they had had a really great priest who led them in holiness all of a sudden they got one that was just awful and god turned away from the entire nation because of that man because he was the mediator between god and them can you imagine i mean most of you know what it's like to go through a a pastoral transition right some point in the history of the church eventually every pastor dies or retires or just gets sick and moves away my first church As a solo pastor was in the mountains of North Carolina, and I remember one of the first weeks I was there, and an older couple uh, introduced themselves to me, and they said to me, uh, this is how they started. I I, I thought it was was outstanding, the way to introduce yourself to a pastor. They said, we outlasted two pastors ago, and we outlasted the last pastor, and we'll outlast you too. (laughs) I said, well, I guess that's how it's going to be with us, isn't it? Well, I'm glad to say they weren't prophets. I ended up burying her a couple years later. I didn't kill her. (laughs) She died of natural causes. Um, In fact, we became good friends later on. But just the way she did it, I thought, hmm, we'll see, (laughs) you know, in that regard. But you never know. I mean, every time you have a good pastor, and then all of a sudden, he's not there anymore. He has to leave, and then you get this new guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not as good of a preacher, doesn't pray as well. You don't relate to him as well. And you're like, church is just awful now. I haven't gotten an amen yet. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what it's like. Especially if you get a new guy just out of seminary and he becomes a senior pastor. You're like, what in the world did we do? Right? But that's what it's like. Can you imagine, though, as bad as pastors can be, At least he's not your mediator. His holiness or lack thereof does not hinder you from seeking God. Because he's not a great prayer, doesn't mean that your prayers won't be heard. Could you imagine? Inheriting a new priest who was evil but was qualified because of his bloodline and lack of external issues internally. He could lead an entire nation astray. You can see why it had to pass away. It was not designed to continue in that way. Something was much, much better in store. And then third, the author also speaks of the inability of the old order. Using very strong language in verse 18, you'll notice he says there, not only was the former order through the law, the ironic priesthood, not only was it weak, he says it was useless. Useless. How dare he say that? Now, he's not saying it had no value. Obviously it had value, at least in the sense that it was pointing us to Christ. But in terms of its effectiveness and of the thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices that the priest offered unto God unto the, it never saved anyone. It never atoned for anyone's sin. Yes, it covered over their sin. Pointing them to the Savior who could make atonement for their sin. But it didn't accomplish anything on their behalf. In fact, not only that, but their inability to actually make someone righteous. Their inability to make someone acceptable in God's sight. They weren't able to do that. All they were able to do through the law of God concerning the priesthood was to make another sacrifice. You screwed it up? Well, let me go slow. Slit another throat and you'll be covered. But you know it was ineffective precisely in this way because no Israelite who ever made an offering of a sacrifice afterwards was able then to go into the holy place and to meet with God. He still had no standing to draw near unto God, he couldn't do it because it was ineffective. It could not make them acceptable. Isaac Watts in his famous hymn, he says, Not all the blood of beast on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stains. The law can't save. You have to understand that the priesthood is part of the law. It can't save. It could only point you to the one who could save. So, anyone who tries to go backwards into the Old Testament priesthood, into keeping the law as a means of gaining access into God, it will never work. You will still die apart from God. And so the priesthood is useless. Now I've said it numerous times, I'll say it again. If you remember, only the high priest could even go behind the curtain. And how often? Once a year. For a very short period of time, every other priest could only go into the holy place, not the most holy place. Every priest couldn't even go there, and then all of the Israelites couldn't even go to where the Levites could go. In fact, the entire temple complex was designed to keep you out, to keep you away from God, because you would be killed if you tried to approach Him without having a full atonement, without having... Something change in your status before God. It was designed to allow God to dwell in the midst of the camp of Israel, but not designed to allow you to approach God. It had to pass away. Because it was useless. It was unable to make someone acceptable. Not only would it not fully atone for one's sin, it it also could not make a man change in his nature to hate his sin and to love righteousness and to love the law of God. It could not change his nature at all. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, is a pastor who passed away. He's now with the saints in heaven. He gave a great illustration of this once in reference to the Old Testament law and the priesthood. He said, take for instance the 11th chapter of Isaiah. The 11th chapter of Isaiah is a great prophecy that says that the lion will lie down with the lamb right? You, you know that, that verse. He says, now now, try to take that to the zoo and read that to the lion. And then say, I'm going to put the lamb in here with you and I want you to lie down with him. And You think he's going to respond to that? He'll roar and then say, I'm so tired of horse meat. I want lamb. He will not obey the law because his nature hasn't been changed, you see. It's only when the prophecy is fulfilled, when the new covenant comes, that now the law of God is written on the heart. Now he desires to do what the law requires, you see. Something has to change. The Old Testament priesthood could not change the nature of a man. He still would be afraid of the law. He still would be at odds with God. He's waiting for something to change, something to make a full atonement A full regeneration. Bring him alive again unto the things of God to where he now has the desires for the right things. No priest could ever do that. No priest could ever motivate any Jew to keep God's law, nor consider even changing his nature. All he could do was slit another throat. That's all he could do. It had to pass away. There's a good reason that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and has never been rebuilt since. It's torn down because it was useless. All those who are looking for it to be rebuilt, there's no purpose for it being rebuilt. Because a better priesthood has come. A better temple has been built through the people of God, where they have direct access now to the Lord. Why would you want to go backwards? Does it not seem strange to you, after thousands of years of sacrificing lamb after lamb after goat after goat and every other animal that now the Jews have no sacrifice for sins how does a Jew even find himself acceptable in God's sight without a sacrifice technically he can't because the law has never changed the law is still in effect for the Jew right he cannot be forgiven of a sin apart from the shedding of blood no, I, I took a class on Judaism. What they'll say is that now it's through the Passover meal that's taking place in the family. But that's not true. You have to have a sacrifice. You have to have a priest, and you have to have a temple. You have to have all three. Without that, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so you, you do have some Jews who try to take that literally. There are some activists today who uh, literally, <laughs> so you, you understand that the, the temple mound now is is actually a part of the Muslim territory, right? So the Muslims own this part of the land where they think that the the Temple Mount is and um, where the Dome of the Rock sits. And so um, there are some Jewish activists who literally will try to hide a lamb and go quickly over to the ground and slit its throat to say, I made a sacrifice, I need forgiveness of sins. But immediately, as you can imagine, he stopped if you've ever been to the Temple Mount. There are men with machine guns there ready to mow you down. They will not allow that to happen. But not only will the Muslims put a stop to it, the Jews themselves will. Because it's not considered a legitimate sacrifice unless you have a legitimate priest. And there is no priest today. They have no priest to look to. You see, Jesus prophesied this, did he not? That temple would be destroyed. A new and living way has been opened us, to us through Christ Death on the cross. Yeah, we've talked about this again many times. When he dies, he offers himself unto the Father. It's finished. The work has been done. The debt has been paid. The curtain's torn down. Immediately, there's no purpose for that temple anymore. Because now, those who have trusted in Christ have direct access unto God. No longer kept away from him immediately are brought into his presence are able to have fellowship with the Lord in a way that no high priest ever could. God has no intention of ever rebuilding that temple because we are the temple of God. I do hope you understand that. It really is important. I know many have taught otherwise, but it's not true. The whole purpose of Hebrews is to help us to see that. It's not going to be rebuilt. When Christ died for our sins, he opened up a new way. Uh, The passage in Hebrews chapter 10, we'll get to this later on, but I have to read it to you now so you can see this more clearly. The whole point, when he says it was useless, the Aaronic priesthood, it was useless in this sense. It could not draw someone near to God. But now Hebrews 10, verses 19 and following, the author says, We now, though, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his own flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith meditate on that you now have a way to draw near to god in a way that no israelite ever could directly into the presence of God. That's the author's main point when he speaks of the incomparability of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. No priest of the Aaronic priesthood could ever compare. Verse 26, look there. He says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, even with the best of priests, even with Samuel and those like him, like Nathan. None of them had that type of pedigree. None of them were morally perfect in this way. They all were tainted by sin, and thus Christ comes to show the better priest. Same manner, unlike the order of Aaron, Christ's priesthood would last forever. Yes, Jesus died. We know that. But he says it's not based upon his bodily descent, but rather the indestructibility, the power of his indestructible life. The death could not hold him. Grave could not hold him. And uh, technically, the fullness of his priesthood doesn't begin until after he comes back from the dead. Ascends up into heaven and then fully enters into his responsibilities behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies to minister on our behalf. But that's the whole point of why he keeps quoting from Psalm 110. If you'll notice, he keeps quoting it over and over and over again in Hebrews. The the sworn oath, he says that you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's not based upon the Aaronic priesthood that will continue to die and to die and to die that is obsolete, but rather to point to one who will never die, one who will live forever, who will continue to minister on our behalf, and particularly to make intercession for us. I don't think we think about this very often, about Christ's intercessory work on our behalf. We, 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 we know, I, I think more of us are familiar with the Holy Spirit's intercession on our behalf, we're familiar with Romans 8, uh, verse 26 and following, when it speaks of uh, our weakness and how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, it, it, how he makes our prayers acceptable uh, according to the will of God right? we, we, I think we know something about that uh, in fact uh, it's often the, the role of the Holy Spirit in interceding for us is often compared to a, a young boy whose who's, uh, father's gone away on a trip and he wants to it's like his birthday or something he wants to give his father a good gift and so his mother sends him out to the fields and says collect the flowers and, and we'll present him a great bouquet but it's, it's a little boy Instead of picking awesome flowers, he picks this horrible potpourri of a few good flowers and a really a lot of weeds. But when his dad comes through the door and his mother puts the bouquet into the son's hand, it's a beautiful bouquet. She picks out all the weeds, leaves just the flowers, maybe adds a few more from what she got, and then presents it to the dad. And the dad's pleased. That's what the Holy Spirit does, you understand, when we pray, we got a bunch of weeds our prayers our prayers are very weedy but the Lord Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit he puts those flowers and it takes the weeds out right makes sense but see what you have to understand that with the intercession of Jesus it's a perfect bouquet every time he never fails to pray for us He, he never prays in weakness he never is at a loss for words to, or something to say. He never has to worry about being, being, gain access to the Father because He's the Son who is well-pleasing in God's sight, always is heard by God. His prayers will always be heard. He never fails. He never tires. He never groans about talking to His Father. He loves to talk to His Father. He never has to promise you, I, I won't forget to pray for you. <laughs> He longs to pray for you, and he does pray for you. He says continually, so right now, as you're sitting here, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you. If you think about that, even briefly, that should change quite a bit how you think of life. I mean, in this sense, uh, you know, when we're going through our trials, especially, and we're going through some very difficult times, do you think Jesus is praying for me right now? The great high priest who knows how to pray when I have no clue what I'm doing, he's praying for me right now. That should give you comfort. should give you confidence to know that even if your prayers don't make it past the ceiling, his have already made it into the Holy of Holies. There's no way. He's not going to be heard. That should greatly encourage us I mean, how does he pray for us? A couple examples in the Old Testament, or in, the, in the Gospels. Luke chapter 22, if you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus tells Peter he's going to deny him three times. That's a pretty tough word to take, right? <laughs> but he also promises him, after he prophesies this, he promises, he says, but I pray for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Now, that should encourage him, right? But what should encourage him even more is the word of assurance that he gives right after that. And he says, and when you have turned again unto God... Strengthen your brothers. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, Not only have I prayed for you, but my prayer is already answered. It's a done deal. You don't have to worry about it. God's already heard my prayer. It's accepted. It's gonna happen. Not only are you gonna fail, but you're gonna be restored and it's gonna be wonderful. Can you imagine? Every single time that you have ever failed and you've fallen short of God's glory, Christ already prayed for you in advance. Right? And he's already prayed for your restoration, and the Lord hears that prayer. No matter how miserable you feel, no matter how awful you've acted, the Lord Jesus will be heard. Amen? He does the same thing for the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, he tells them to go off in advance uh, while he's up on the mountain praying And he's particularly praying for them as they're struggling against the oar, as the wind and the waves are whipping up and they're scared to death. And the Scripture says he's he's praying for them. Does not the Lord do the same for us? In your worst of days, in the, the scariest of moments in your life, to know that the Lord Jesus may not be with you in the boat at that moment, but he's praying for you. And you're not going to drown. Of course, John 17 is probably the greatest example we see. In fact, in your Bibles, many of uh, the translations will say that it is Jesus' high priestly prayer. The reason why it says that is because before, he's about to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He's doing the dual role of the priest, you understand? He's offering a sacrifice and he's praying on behalf of those. He's laying down his life for and as he's praying, he's, he's praying for his people by name. Lord, keep them in your holy will. Sanctify them by the Holy Spirit. Enlighten their hearts. Make them to increase in love for one another. May that joy of the Lord be felt. May God be glorified in their lives. And may you be pleased with it. This is what Christ is praying for us. regularly, And, and so much more than that. Um, ultimately, the greatest prayer that he prays for us is that we might know the Lord. He died in order that we might know him. He died in order that we might pray to him and have access to be heard. What a tragedy it would be if we didn't pray. When the very purpose for his life and for his death here on earth is that we might have that access to come before the Father in prayer. What a privilege it is to be a child of God. To know that He accepts you, that He loves you, and that He hears you when you pray. Let us all take advantage of that. Let's pray even together now. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would help us in our weakness, in our foolishness, in our doubt, in, in our inconsistency, and, and even the lack of desire uh, to come and to to lay before you all that goes on in our lives, all the things that concern us, all the things that we fret about so easily, all the things that we're afraid of and worried about, all the things that we think that we can do but we can't, all the things that we're so proud of but we fall short of your glory in. And even the things, oh Lord, that that hinder us from seeking your face, Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to you regularly to find strength, to find comfort, to, to be reminded of the promises of God, and to know that as we pray, you hear us because of our great high priest who always lives, who is the unblemished, perfect Son of God with whom you are always pleased. Oh, Lord, receive our prayers even now through his name we pray. Amen. Won't you stand for me? Let's sing the final hymn.